I'm Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. Look, it seems that everyone told then-President Trump that the emperor had no clothes on, even if only behind closed doors. Talking about the president's council, the vice president's council, the vice president, they all told him that the plan that to have Vice President Pence not certify the election, well, in the words of Vice President Pence, was un-American, and in the words of a prosecutor, illegal. Even the nation's top prosecutor, the Attorney General Bill Barr, found no evidence to support a play to stay in office. Now, tonight, we have not one, but two former attorneys general here. Both were nominated by a Republican president, and both are going to give us their take on whether the emperor's wardrobe might be traded for prison garb. The current Attorney General Merrick Garland has said that he's watching very closely, but I'm wondering about what his predecessors think and what might they have done differently, even now. Day three has had quite a core theme. It's called pressure. Persistent, relentless, unyielding pressure. All targeting Vice President Mike Pence. Now, the browbeating all began behind the scenes. But when that didn't work, the bully pulpit was the new soapbox. And Pence's failure to succumb to it put him in danger. The VP's former chief of staff was apparently so worried that Trump was putting his boss's life at risk that he alerted the Secret Service on the eve of January 6th. The concern was for the vice president's security, and so I wanted to make sure the head of the vice president's Secret Service was aware that um, that likely, as these disagreements became more public, that the president would um, lash out in some way. We were also shown some never-before-seen photos of Pence at the Capitol that day as rioters were putting up gallows and actually calling for his head. Now, we all remember how close the rioters actually came to the congressional floor, and they would have gotten in through an open door if not for the very quick thinking of a heroic Capitol Police officer who ended up luring them away and around the stairs. But today we learned that the mob was just 40 feet away from the Vice President of the United States. And... You ask yourselves, how worried must President Trump have been about his right-hand man? Not enough to lift even a single finger to call and check on him. I mean, even once. And what's worse, we learned that Trump was actually warned in advance that violence wasn't some hypothetical and that his words could actually lead to violence. So while Pence and Mrs. Pence waited for any word from Trump, well, he was tweeting to the world lashing out at Pence in tweets that were being read aloud by the rioters in real time. Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts. We also know that there was a phone call on the morning of January 6th between President Trump and Vice President Pence. Now, We did not know what the details of that conversation were. We were all wondering, well, until now. Because apparently Ivanka Trump heard it, and she called it heated. And someone else in that room said that she also overheard the man who once famously bragged about grabbing women by their genitalia. Well, he was now calling his own vice president the P-word. Plus, we saw some never-before-seen photos from inside the White House as well that day. A lot more on that ahead. You know, they say that ignorance may well be bliss. But it seems that Trump can't ever reasonably now claim that he didn't know that what he was proposing was, shall we say, problematic, to say the least. 
We heard testimony that Trump was specifically warned that that plan to overturn the election, here's the big word again, was illegal, not by just laymen, but by one of his own lawyers who actually helped him cook up the scheme, but said, let's try it anyway, because what could possibly go wrong? Listen to this from Prince's former counsel. Did John Eastman ever admit, as far as you know, in front of the president that his proposal would violate the Electoral Count Act? Uh, I believe he did on the 4th. That's, that's January 4th, for those of you looking at your calendar at home right now, the day before the insurrection. And the Trump lawyer, John Eastman, has been under quite the microscope today, that's for sure. Not just for that plan or that memo that we all know about, but also that he knew that the plan that he himself was putting forward was illegal, sure to maybe have a 9-0 loss in the Supreme Court, let alone undemocratic. Listen to what another Trump lawyer said when he heard about this same scheme from Eastman. He said, you're going to turn around and tell 78 plus million people in this country that your theory is this is how you're going to invalidate their votes. He said, you're going to cause riots in the streets. And he said, words to the effect of there's been violence in the history of our country, Eric, to protect the democracy or protect the republic. Does he mean the Civil War? Is that what you're talking about or something different? Well, we're not going to hear from him likely during these hearings, by the way. Don't really hold your breath for that, because after all, he did plead the fifth about 100 times when January 6th committee asked him in for questionings. Well, he may not have been willing to answer all of their questions on those occasions, but he was prepared to make a pretty big ask of President Trump. The panel released an email that he sent to another former Trump lawyer, you know him, Rudy Giuliani, and it reads, quote, I've decided that I should be on the pardon list if that is still in the works. Wow. Now, now why would he think that he should be on that list? We just don't know. But now that more is coming out, will the DOJ begin to act on any of these revelations? And how will the actual committee recommend things as well to the rest of Congress? With me tonight, former Democratic Senator Al Franken, CNN anchor and correspondent Audi Cornish, and former Trump White House Director of Strategic Communications, Alyssa Farah Griffin. Welcome to all of you here. You've all sat through my sarcasm. But I do want to hear your truths today about these very issues, because when you heard about the pressure campaign against and for Vice President Mike Pence, I mean, it wasn't like it was a one-time or a one-off. It was relentless all the way to January 5th and 6th. What's your thought? I think the starkest thing, if I may jump right in, was the 40 feet that the rioters got within the vice pre- within uh, the range of the vice president's ceremonial office. This is a mob that would have killed him if they were able to. And knowing what danger the former vice president was in, Donald Trump didn't care. In fact, as my former colleague said, he poured gasoline on the fire. It's, I mean, today what we saw was the committee masterfully broke down the pressure campaign and was smart to have, in my opinion, as a Republican, to have conservative attorneys, a conservative judge, walk through this undemocratic efforts that we had seen 
by people like Eastman and the other advisors around Trump. I think this was the most important hearing to date. It really helped show just how far they were willing to go to stay in power. And it's just devastating and undemocratic, as Mm. you said. I couldn't help but wonder, though, did that translate the same way the American public? I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't compelling. It wasn't the most riveting of testimony from the delivery standpoint. That's true. As a trial attorney, I think about how it's coming across to the jury out there. But you're right about thinking about just how methodical and persistent it all was. Were you surprised that it was that persistent for this vice president? I just felt sad during this hearing. I thought it was pathetic. Uh, confirmed pretty much everything I've thought, uh, thought about Donald Trump, which is he's sick. He's a sick person. It's tragic that he was president. I agree with Judge Ludwig that he presents, continues to present a clear and present danger to the American people and his supporters. And uh, this, and it's very clear from these three hearings, we're going to have four more at least, that uh, there is a widespread conspiracy to overturn this election. And, uh, you know... I, Every moment of me was pretty stunning and sad, really just sad. I thought it was interesting to think about how the word hero was used a lot today. And I have to say, I'm, I'm a little conservative in the way that I use the word. I, I try to give it to those who I think are truly heroic, not just those who actually do the job they're supposed to be doing, although there are heroes among them. What did you make, Adi, of the idea of Vice President Pence really being heralded and called out more than once as a, virtually a hero for having said, no, here's what it says, the Constitution says I can't do it, forget all the different things you're saying, this is what's happening now. Well, I think it's a key part of the hearing to show how consistently the pressure was put on him to go against the law, essentially, and not seating certain electors, right? This is actually what the hearing is about, to show like this was a multi-point campaign and that Pence was at the center of it. So there's no way to talk about it without acknowledging the fact that he stood in the way of this, right? This is part of the case. I mean, I think, you know, I'm sort of curious from you, like, what is the text chain in December? You know, like, what is uh, going on to to hear all of these people around Pence, Pence's aides talk about the fear they felt, the concerns they felt, but was it truly a shock? Well, I'll say this. So I resigned from the White House December of 2020, but I kept in touch with, I was talking to Mark Short fairly regularly. I knew without question that Pence was going to do the right thing and certify the election. I I know the senator, I'm going to give him a chance to disagree with me after this. I do think Mike Pence is a hero. And because I want to really take a minute to think about this. Had he not certified, we would have been not just in a constitutional crisis, I would argue the republic would be in shambles. So what you would have is basically a two to three week period before Biden was officially sworn in. You'd have a lame duck Donald Trump desperately clinging to power. You'd inevitably have unrest in the streets. He would probably lean on the Department of Defense where I previously worked. And I would expect you would have general officers like Chairman Milley defying orders to use force where you would have the loyalists that Donald Trump installed trying to use our military. I mean, this is a horrifying scenario that we're talking about. But couldn't some of the heroism come through transparency before that date? I mean, January 5th was the time they're talking about it. This is why it was the obvious thing he had to do. If he was courageous, he would have testified today. And if he was courageous, he would have spoken out about this before. 
this, this is, and, and you're in touch with Mark Shore. Why didn't he say anything? Why didn't any of these people who are testifying today say anything before this happened? There are people that are dead because they didn't. No, and it's heartbreaking. And I, and I will always say I, I was the first senior official to speak out on January 6th and say Donald Trump condemned this now. I don't know why more people did it. And it frustrates me to this day. But I will say this. And again, this is an indictment of my own party. No one else here is I would think any other Republican in the MAGA orbit in Pence's shoes wouldn't have done the right thing. What if it was a vice president, Ted Cruz, if it was a vice president, name the MAGA official. So thank God it was Mike Pence. That's that's honestly all I can say. I'm not one for this kind of black and white. I mean, nobody is covered in glory here. This is an ugly situation in which a key part of uh, the, the process for the peaceful transfer of the peaceful transfer of power has proven to be very vulnerable, potentially easily manipulated. And I don't want a scenario where we have to have a hero do what needs to be done um, to carry out the tradition of our democracy. We already know what it looks like in other countries that have cyclical political violence. The purpose of the hearings, I think a greater context for people to consider is what will it take for this not to happen again? Not just the mob violence, but to safeguard and certify a result in an effective way that cannot be manipulated in this manner. Well, I think when you're watching all the lawyers go like this, like this, I said this, I said this, I said that, memo, memo, meeting, meeting, meeting. You should remember. Is that how you think I talk? I uh, we, is, that, is that what the lawyers do? Memo, 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 really? A little really? bit. Is fine that where print, we are? Fine print. Okay. We, we, okay. we went 240 years without this happening. This, this, you don't do this. Al Gore testified for this long. Yeah. He was asked about this. He said, well, if you're putting your own personal ambition against our democracy and the Constitution, it's not really a hard choice. Well, there's that statement, are public if you can keep it. But, you know, that's just the lawyer in me talking. It's real. About it's that. real. <laughs> Everyone stick around for a second. The lawyer's going to get involved in this. I'm kidding. Much more to go through with this, with you all on, later on this hour. By the way, stick around, please. But up next, two former U.S. attorneys general joined me to look at the most important legal takeaways from today. That includes one of Trump's own lawyers, John Eastman, trying for a pardon in the days after the insurrection. When CNN Tonight returns. Those famous Watergate questions, you know, the one, what did the president know and when did he know it? Well, in this case, a lot of people knew the plan to reject the electoral votes was illegal and they knew it well in advance. In today's testimony, we know Mike Pence asked his counsel to investigate his role almost a month before January 6th even happened. That even in December, John Eastman admitted that his plan didn't really have any legal weight And Pence told Trump he didn't have the power two days before Christmas. The VP staff told Eastman on January 4th, again, the plans were illegal. The next day, Eastman admitted the plan would actually lose at the Supreme Court. We had an extended discussion, an hour and a half to two hours on January 5th. Um, And when I pressed him on the point, I said, John, if the vice president did what you were asking him to do, we would lose nine to nothing in the Supreme Court, wouldn't we? Uh, 
Um, and he initially started it, well, I think maybe you would lose only seven to two. Um, and after some further discussion, acknowledged, well, yeah, you're right, we would lose nine nothing. And by the way, there are, what, three Trump appointees on that court? I'm just doing the math on that particular notion. And despite that, Trump still had that heated call with Pence on January 6th. And both Trump and Eastman told the crowd that Pence could still overturn the election. And even after the attack on the Capitol, Eastman sent yet another email asking for what he admits would have been an illegal act. The paper trail is pretty incredible on this. So which may be the reason, frankly, that next day Eastman was advised to get a criminal attorney. And a few days later, he was asking Rudy Giuliani about that pardon list. Ultimately, the question of possible criminal charges actually does not sit, of course, in Congress, but with the Department of Justice and the Attorney General. So let's talk about it with not one, but two former U.S. Attorneys General, Michael Mukasey and Alberto Gonzalez. Gentlemen, welcome. I'm so glad that you're both here. I've been eager to pick both of your brains after these three particular hearings. I want to begin with you, General Mukasey, on this, because I'm wondering, as you've been watching and sitting through and hearing about these hearings... Does it strike you that there is a criminality that could be explored at the Justice Department? Criminality by, you mean by, by, by Trump? I by mean Donald by Donald Trump, Trump, or, Trump or, or somebody, maybe John Eastman, any of the figures that have been central to the hearings today? Well, something, something can be explored, but there's a, as you know, as a former trial lawyer, there's a big difference between something that can be explored and a case that can be brought. Um, if Donald Trump is famous for anything, it's for not hearing things that he doesn't want to hear. And notwithstanding that he was being told by his then Attorney General Bill Barr, by Vice President Pence and by a whole lot of other people, that Vice President Pence did not have the authority to do anything other than open the envelope, and the Constitution says, and the votes shall then be counted. Um, he chose to believe a contrary story that he was being told by other people, or so he says. And that raises some question about, um, about his role. In addition, the Justice Department itself is prosecuting people now, uh, members of the Proud Boys and others, for committing these acts on their own. Um, it doesn't make, they, they don't make the president part of it. And so there is a kind of tension between the theory that the Justice Department is now pursuing against people who are now defendants and the theory that it might pursue against President Trump, assuming they decide to pursue him for, uh, for a criminal charge. You're nodding along, General Gonzalez. Do you agree the notion of, obviously, there's exploration, and then there's the idea of trying to meet one's burden of proof if you were to try to bring criminal charges? Something's been floated around, of course, are um, defrauding, the defrauding the United States of America, the idea of obstruction, obstructing the uh, official proceeding of electoral college count. You know, there's the elements that need to be proven. So far, we've got a lot of testimony that demonstrates, at least in the beginning, that Trump doesn't really have a good faith, reasonable belief that he actually could believe any of what he wants to believe when the truth seems to be out there that this plan could not work. Well, General McKenzie is absolutely right. It's one thing to, to receive this information th through this process. It's quite another to meet a burden of proof in a criminal trial where uh, Trump, Trump world will have the opportunity to cross-examine witnesses to present their own proof and then can uh, try to convince a jury uh, of their innocence. And so uh, 
no question the information that's come through this committee is very disturbing. It's damning as far as I'm concerned, certainly with respect to, I think, how the public is, is seeing this. But if you're talking about a criminal prosecution, that's, that is quite a different story. And of course, um, these hearings are not over yet. And in fact, there may not be a referral. Some, some would argue that the referral is really immaterial. Uh, Merrick Garland is going to, his investigators are gathering up information. Uh, hopefully they'll receive all the information that's assembled, compiled by, by this commission. And then, make, and then after consulting with his senior team, he's going to make a determination as to whether or not to move forward. Now, even if the, if the decision is close, he may decide not to do so. Why? Because in the history of this country, I don't believe a former president has ever been subject to a public trial. It will force the nation, the nation's attention, the media's attention will, will gravitate and be focused on this trial for months. And, you know, one might wonder whether or not is it worth it, because uh, you could ar make the argument that that President Trump has already been he's already been harmed or he's already lost. He lost his reelection. But General, excuse me, um, when uh, what you've articulated sounds the equivalent of somebody then being above the law. I mean, the idea that well, you're say, punished enough by having lost the election and you can't be called the leader of the free world. Is that really well, enough? No. When I, what I was going to say, you didn't let me complete my thought and that, that there is a balance here. And that the other, the other consideration, another equally important, perhaps even more important consideration by the attorney general is accountability, uh, you know. Someone should be held responsible. Others should be at the highest level should be held responsible for what happened here. And so at, at the end of the day, you know, this is a very tough decision for the attorney general. And right now, I think agreeing with General McKaysey, it's just premature to reach a conclusion that we can that uh, that Donald President Donald Trump can be criminally prosecuted for what happened on January 6th. Uh, I think we're, they're going to make a good effort. I, they're going to make a good examination as to whether or not that effort could be successful. I think you're absolutely right that you know, we still we, have you know, a lot we, to wait we for. Through. General Mukasey, on that point, excuse me, I, I'm curious as to what you have, what you make of the fact that the former Attorney General Bill Barr has played such a central role in the testimony in his conversations. Both of you obviously have been, been behind closed doors as presidential advisors, members of the cabinet, are privy to a great deal of sensitive information. And that it could very well be that A.G. Merrick Garland has, is privy to that same information in different categories. What do you think, General McKenzie, about the notion of the testimony of Bill Barr to date? I mean, he talked about resigning in December after what he described as BS and the plan. What was your reaction to that testimony that you heard? Well, that, that testimony actually is, was, was known before it was disclosed in these hearings. He, that was in his book, uh, and mm -hmm. he talked about it before that, that, that scene on December 1st, where he, as you point out, described what the president was, was pushing, the theories of fraud that he was pushing uh, as BS, said he had found no evidence to support them and uh, offered to resign. The president slammed his hand down on the table and said, accept it. And then Barr walked out of the room and had to be chased down by two people when he was already in his car. Tell him, no, 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 he didn't really mean it. Come back. Um, he went back to the Justice Department and they didn't speak again uh, until afterwards. But um, he testified exactly the way it happened, and he testified to, to, to what he did. And what he did was his job. Uh, what Mike Pence did was his job. Um, and I, uh, one of your, your, your colleagues said before that um, we don't need, we don't really, we shouldn't really need heroes. The fact is that there is no rule 
that applies itself. There's always somebody who's got to apply the rule and adhere to the rule. And the fact that we had people applying the rules and adhering to the rules, you want to call them heroes, call them heroes. You want to call them people doing their job, call them people doing their job. But the fact is that the, that the, the system at that point functioned. You know, we had something similar to this in our history, relatively recent history, when uh, Richard Nixon resigned and um, was pardoned by Gerald Ford. He was, Ford was criticized for it at the time. But the reason he did it was that he didn't want the country to go through the anguish Ooh. and the turmoil and the disorder of trying a former president. And this, this situation, I think, is close to that. Well, I hear both of you, and stick around. We're going to come back to these points and expand beyond that. I would argue, of course, and I'd love to hear your reaction, the nation did see some turmoil and unrest. It was on January 6th. But ahead, there was a final phone call between Trump and Pence just hours before the riot on January 6th. It was overheard by Trump family members and former aides, and boy, did they have quite a story to tell. Hear it yourself when CNN Tonight returns. We've got new insight tonight in a heated phone call between former President Trump and his then vice president. It comes to witnesses within Trump's inner circle, including his own daughter, Ivanka, about what they heard on the morning of January 6th in the hours before the Capitol attack. When I entered the office the second time, he was on the telephone with who I later found out to be was the, the vice president. Could you hear the vice president or only hear the president's end? Only hear the president's end. And at some point it started off as a calmer tone and everything and then became heated. The conversation was was pretty heated. I remember hearing the word wimp. Either he called him a wimp. I don't remember if he said, you are a wimp, you'll be a wimp. Wimp is the word I remember. I don't remember exactly either, but something like that, yeah. Do you, being a, you, like being, you're not tough enough to make the call. It was a different tone than I'd heard him take um, with the vice president before. Did Ms. Trump share with you any more details about what had happened or any details about what had happened in the Oval Office that morning? That her dad had just had an upsetting conversation with the vice president. Something to the effect, this is, the wording's wrong. I made the wrong decision four or five years ago. And the, the word that she relayed to that the president called the vice president, I apologize for being impolite, but do you remember what she said her father called him? The P word. Hmm. Well, after that call, Trump went on to rally his supporters at the Ellipse in Washington, D.C. Remember this part? If Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. Mike Pence is going to have to come through for us. And if he doesn't, that will be a, a sad day for our country. The January 6th panel says its investigation into early drafts of Trump's January 6th speech included actually no mention of Pence and that Trump purposely revised it to criticize his vice president. Now, upon learning about the violent mob inside the Capitol, Trump told his supporters this, quote, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done, unquote. Well, and they took note. Listen to this. Pence, Pence, didn't, yeah. Pence didn't do what we wanted. Pence voted against Trump. Okay, and that's when all this started? Yep. 
That's when we march on the Capitol. Mike Pence has betrayed the United States of America! Pence betrayed us, which apparently everybody knew he was going to, and the president mentioned it like five times when he talked. Like five times when he talked. We learned that there was a lot more conversations than just five that day. Perhaps no surprise, but a source tells CNN that Trump and Pence, they haven't spoken to each other in over a year. We'll get more into this now frayed relationship. Back with tonight's A-team, Al, Adi, and Alyssa to discuss all of that. Plus, how important could Jenny Thomas be to the committee? That's up next. Okay, so rather than calling the rioters off from the Capitol on January 6th, the former president instead was tweeting and about Mike Pence. Just listen to what a White House aide told the select committee about that moment. It was clear that it was escalating and escalating quickly. So then when that tweet, the Mike Pence tweet, um, was sent out, um, I remember us saying that that was the last thing that needed to be tweeted at that moment. The situation was already bad, and so it felt like he was pouring gasoline on the fire by tweeting that. Back with me now, Al Franken, Adi Cornish, and Alyssa Farah Griffin. You know, I want to hear your reactions as well to what the attorneys general had to say earlier, talking about the idea of, you know, there's one reason why sometimes the DOJ does not prosecute cases. It's because it might not be in the interests of the nation or contrary to the public's interest. You had a strong reaction to that. Why? Really strong reaction. The only thing worse than prosecuting him is not prosecuting him. He clearly has committed crimes. It's so evident. You don't. This is why I said watching this today was just pathetic and tragic. I mean, clearly this, and he knew he lost. I mean, and if his only defense, I guess, is insanity, but uh, I don't think that washes. I think he's just a malignant narcissist. I think he's an awful human being. And clearly he knew he lost. He said before the election, if I win, then it was a fair election. If I lose, it was fixed. I mean, what else do you need to hear? No. During the hearing, this is what they outlined, I think, in the first two days, right? This idea of the setup, the leading up to this moment. And now, and you can talk about this more, I'm actually kind of curious about your position on it. If they're talking about what the motive was, if they're talking about his ability and power and understanding um, to potentially incite violence, and then if they're showing us people who heard his words and acted on them, they clearly lawmakers are trying to lay something out as easily as possible. That doesn't necessarily mean there will be charges, um, but correct me if I'm wrong, they're doing it in, in a certain order yeah. to give people a sense of wrongdoing, illegality. And they're bringing up, and listen to what Congressman Aguilar had to say today about this issue, because you're talking about criminality and the elements and how it can be proven. When someone starts fishing for a pardon, we call that a, a red flag. <laughs> listen up. <laughs> In fact, just a few days later, Dr. Eastman emailed Rudy Giuliani and requested that he be included on a list of potential recipients of a presidential pardon. Dr. Eastman's email stated, quote, I've decided that I should be on the pardon list, if that is still in the works. 
I've decided I should still be on the pardon list if that's still in the work. I, I mean, mean, the rest of that email, the rest of that line actually <laughs> is him saying, I know it would, it will look bad, something to the effect of that, but there will be will so many bad. lies being told. <laughs> I just want to finish the rest of, of that sentence, uh, which, uh, you know, I want to point out something else, which is this is such a TikTok ready hearing setup. You know, so much has been made of them using teleprompters or of uh, the, the production values and a TV producer getting involved. It's actually not so much about TV. It is shareable, right? I mean, uh, attorney uh, Judge Ludig today, not a fast speaker, <laughs> but when you see him in snips on your Facebook feed, on your Insta, on your Snap, in your Substack embed code, I have no idea, you are going to get the point because the committee has uh, created a scenario in which this is a very shareable kind of TikTok era uh, hearing rather than a Watergate era hearing. And on kind of the previous point, I think the committee's pursuing two tracks. And I've sat down with the committee voluntarily. I want to help in any way I can. And one is, is there a potential criminal referral? Is there wrongdoing? But the other is, the battlefield's the voters. It's convincing the American public that the election lies are untrue, that this was a giant grift by the former president. So it's kind of a twofold track, and I think they're equally important Both in many are ways. are valuable, yes. yes. Every, I think there is a danger in setting the bar so high that it has to be prosecution or nothing. Because... This is an ongoing situation, right? You had more than 100... This guy tried uh, to destroy No, but what I'm saying is there are more than 100 (laughs) candidates out there right now who election denialism or specifically Trump's election lies are part of their campaign. And that's from right-wing disinformation and lies which have been going on a long time. Well, speaking of history, though, I mean, think about this. There was that moment we heard from Greg Jacobs today, right, where he talked about the idea of what was truly un-American and the history of the inertia of things just sort of going correctly. You heard General McKenzie say, listen, the system worked here. Listen to what he had to say today. There is almost no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person would choose the American president. And then unbroken historical practice for 230 years that the vice president did not have such an authority. This is why you have to prosecute him. There's nothing more un-American. Is he, I mean, here's my thought. I, I, I hear you. But the problem is when you look at, and just thinking about how the electorate has talked about this issue, I think this is your point as well. If the singular focus is on the prosecution of Donald Trump, I think you risk the alienation of realizing the legislative purpose. I'm not saying it can't be a possibility, but this is a committee who well, has to actually don't? think about it. Ask the, I'm going to ask the attorneys general when I come back, as a matter of fact, on these very issues. Audie Cornish, Alyssa Farah Griffin, and Al Franken will leave that question hanging in the wind. The question is, is the select committee delivering on what it promised the American people? To that very point. Back with two former attorneys general next. The January 6th committee is quite steadfast on trying to convey that this is a continued threat to our democracy. I'm wondering if that's landing with people, though. I'm back with former attorneys general Michael Mukasey and Alberto Gonzalez. And I'd love for you guys to talk about the sort of big picture here, because obviously we are seeing division, but we're also seeing some distrust in our institutions. And I'm wondering when you're looking at all that's coming out right now and the way that this hearing is being conducted, um, you know, you say, General McKay, that the system was working by virtue of the fact that there was somebody to sort of hold the line. I'd love for you to respond, General Gonzalez, to what your thoughts are. Oh, absolutely. I think Mike hit it uh, right on in that uh, I'd say Mike Pence 
was brave. He was courageous not to leave the Capitol. But honestly, what he did beyond that, he did his job. He took an oath of office to follow the Constitution, and that's what he did. And that's what the senior leadership at the Department of Justice did. And that's what they're going to do going forward. Uh, listening to Senator Franken, who I respect, you know, I think he would throw Donald Trump in, in the dungeon, throw away the key without any of the protections of the Constitution. But that's not going to happen with respect to what's going to happen with Donald Trump and the rest of those involved in the, in the January 6th hearing. We're going we're gonna to follow the Constitution and, and do the right thing. Are you concerned, John Lucchese, I, of the singular focus on, say, Donald Trump in terms of the committee's focus? Yes, I am, because um, I think there are some there are larger issues here. First, I agree with General Gonzalez that uh, that w what this 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 uh, this fantasy of putting Donald Trump in 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 in, uh, in an orange jumpsuit uh, and, and, and a dungeon and throwing away the key ain't going to happen. Uh, but beyond that, there are tweaks that need to be made in the Electoral Count Act um, that would. I don't know about prevent but at least make it more difficult for a situation like this to develop because the, 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 count, the, the access to the ballot is a matter of state law and that has to be fought out in each individual state. And then how that result gets handled when, it, when the, the, the ballots are sent to Congress is something that may need to be tweaked uh, in, in, in a relatively small way. But there's a, there is bipartisan support for the notion that for example, it ought to be made specific that the vice president has no authority. It ought to, we ought to clarify what we do if there are competing uh, slates of electors that are submitted by states. That can be done. Um, but the, 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 the melodrama um, isn't, doesn't really tell the whole story. Absent those changes, and of course, I'm talking to two of the former top law enforcement officials in the country who know full well what it must take and what it needs to take to enforce the law. Absent those changes, are there other areas that you can think of in terms of what you've been seeing where it's making the job of prosecutors to evaluate these cases that much harder? Are there areas that you're looking to hear more about from this committee, General Gonzalez, areas that you think should be fortified or loopholes closed? Uh, honestly, Laura, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, I'd have to think about that. I, I, I think... The Department of Justice has the tools necessary. They have a lot more investigatory authority to find out what happened here than this congressional committee. And so they're going to take the information that they've gathered, get the information from, from the, from the uh, January 6th committee, and make a decision. And I, I, I happen to believe they probably have the appropriate tools uh, to, to successfully investigate and prosecute where necessary Although I do agree with General McKenzie, there are things that we could do to strengthen the Electoral Act, the Count Act. I'll give you the final word, General McKenzie, in terms of thinking about long term, what you think the impact of these hearings will have on our nation. Well, I'm hoping they'll have a good impact. Um, this is, for all the, for all the flaws, um, it's a civics lesson and on, on both sides. And I'm hoping that People learn from it um, and learn that, again, there is no such thing as a set of rules that applies itself. It takes people to apply it. And that when you have people with a spine, uh, and we have those in the Justice Department who do it on a daily basis, without, without, not in the limelight, but in day-to-day in -day situations, 
I agree with General Gonzalez that that's, that that's, that that's the takeaway that we really need from this. Very important word. Gentlemen, thank you for joining tonight. It's important to hear from you both, particularly giving your perspective on these really important issues. Thank you so much to both of you. Thanks for watching, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow night. Don Lemon Tonight starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.